remain standing as we pray. Lord, in the echo of those words, please, by your Spirit's power, give us open hands as we bring you the offering of our whole lives. Every aspect. As we bring you our tears and our troubles. As we bring you our days and our nights. Lord, give us open hands as we come to you. And Lord, please give us open ears to hear from you as you speak to us by your spirit in your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, please do take your seats. Well, good morning, everybody, uh, and welcome, and welcome to our new series in the book of 2 Timothy, which we've entitled, The Truth We Hold, The Truth We Hold. And God willing, we'll be going through this part of God's word from now until just before, uh, just before Easter. And in these coming weeks, as we go through this series, there's really one question that I want us all to to have in our minds, to have in our hearts as we, as we go through this series. And the question is, what will Cornerstone Church be like in 2053? What do you imagine Cornerstone Church will be like in 30 years' time? Now, I don't mean particularly what state the building will be in by then or what the carpet will be like or what type of chairs we'll have in 2053. That's not really the kind of thing that I mean. Rather, the people, the leadership, the teaching, the fellowship, the beliefs, the culture, the mission, the heartbeat. What will Cornerstone Church be like in 2053. And by extension, I guess you could ask, what will other churches in the UK and beyond be like in 30 years' time? So throughout the coming weeks, have that question bubbling away in your heart, in your mind. Because this letter that we're coming to, and if you can have it open in front of you, that'd be really handy, page 1194 in the church Bibles, at 1195. Because this letter was written in the first century as one generation of leaders and believers were, too, looking to the future. This was probably the Apostle Paul's final letter. And he was writing from a prison cell in Rome. He'd been abandoned by many. He was facing imminent death. He was cold. He was alone. The church was standing at the end of the apostolic era. The 12 who had been commissioned by the risen Christ were all now dead or dying. What was the future of the church going to be? As Paul was writing this letter to Timothy, what was the future of the church going to be? Because in 30 years' time, then there there would definitely be no apostles. The future lay in the hands of the next generation of leaders like Timothy and the churches that they led. 
There were churches that faced persecution from without and false teaching within. So what was the future of the church going to be? Well, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he writes the letter to to Timothy, but it was an open letter, as it were. As it were, the the churches could read, read the letter over the shoulders of Timothy. So yes, there's much in this letter for young church leaders, but it's for the benefit of the whole church. I'm sure you'll be well aware that the word resilient and the concept of resilience is is very much talked about these days. And this leader and this church, churches, would begin to understand how, through this letter, how they could be resilient in the years, in the decades that lay ahead. And so can we, by the grace of God. So firstly, let's look at verses one and two. We hold, where I'm going to talk about how we hold the promise of life, verse one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This The opening of this letter follows much of the ancient conventions of letter writing in in the ancient world. The sender introduces themselves. That always used to confuse me, that in the Bible it was the sender that put the name first. Because that's that's not how we write letters, is it, generally? No one told me that ever. So I'm telling you, if you don't understand it, I wish someone had told me that. Confused me for years. Anyway, it starts with who's sending it. There we go. If that's all you learn today, that's going to revolutionize your life. I'm exaggerating that. It's just useful. So the sender introduces themselves and then sends greetings to the person receiving it. But look at those verses and notice how those conventions are saturated with God, with his promises, with his purposes in Christ, drenched with Christian mercy, grace, peace. And even as we just read these opening verses, we get the sense that that what's going to come in this letter is going to be warm and it's going to be weighty. Paul's tender and sincere. He writes both with apostolic authority and the loving affection of a spiritual father. Timothy must heed what Paul says, and we must too. There is challenge in this letter. There is challenge. Yet it comes in the context of a letter that is headed with grace and mercy and peace, a triple blessing, a promise and a prayer. Grace, mercy, peace. And I just want us to pick up on that phrase in verse 1, especially what Paul writes is in keeping with the promise of life. We need reminding that That being Christians means we hold the promise of life. Not drudgery, not performance, not escapism. We hold the promise of life. The Apostle Paul, remember, he was staring death in the face, and yet he knew the promise of life. 
And I want to remind us that we hold the promise of life. In Christ, we have a bigger story, a better story than any of the competing stories, the competing narratives that we're urged to hold on to in our day to day. Uh, if you were here last week, I loved the title of that children's book that Debbie from Ten of Those held up that points to someone bigger, someone better. I love that we're able to host that conference that Catherine was talking about, about telling the next generation the story, the story, the story of the promise of life. And I think we've got a wonderful opportunity to share the promise of life with the next generation. That in the Bible, we are given a better story about who we are. A bigger story about our place in the universe. That we hold in this story, in this true story, we hold the promise of life in Christ Jesus. I saw uh, an advert over Christmas time. I don't know if you saw it as well. It was for an, for an, for an app that reads book t- books to you. And the strap line for the advert was something like, for the story you need right now. For the story you read night, r- need right now. And brothers and sisters, this true story of the promise of life is the story that we need right now. Listen to it, delight in it, offer it, tell it to a hurting world. And the other thing I want to pick up on these verses is just the warmth of it. Because a little encouragement goes a long way, doesn't it? And we know that's true. When we receive a little encouragement, it means a huge amount. And for Timothy, this affection, it encouraged him, it steadied him, it helped him receive what the apostle was going to say later in the letter. A little encouragement goes a long way. So just have a think for a moment. Who can you encourage before you leave this building today? Who can you encourage? Just think of someone. And encourage them. Or secondly, we're held in the heritage of faith, verse 3 to 5. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Now, those of you who've ever been on any leadership training or seminars that that, that I've been part of and, and led, you'll probably know what's coming. You will know that I always talk about sheep and shepherding when I'm talking about leadership. And I do that because it's the main metaphor for leadership in the Bible. And I talk about shepherding a lot. Well, James Rebanks is a shepherd in the Lake District. He's not a Christian. And yet I have learned a lot about Christian leadership from him because he is a shepherd. And as as I've read his books about shepherding, it's helped me to have some real insights into the, the work of a shepherd and from that, a better understanding of what the Bible means when it talks as church leaders being shepherds over God's flock. And 
Well, I, I would love to talk about this all day. I'll be available afterwards if you want to talk about sheep and shepherding. But there's just one quote that I want to share on this subject today from what James Rebanks said uh, in an interview once in a, uh, on Desert Island Discs, I think it was. He said this, I've always liked the feeling of carrying on something bigger than me, something that stretches back through other hands and other eyes into the depths of time. To work there, he's talking about the Lake District, is a humbling thing. It liberates you from any illusion of self-importance. Well, so too, as, as Christians, actually whether we're leaders or not, we are held in the heritage of faith. We too are carrying on something that is bigger than us, something that stretches back through other hands. And that is humbling, as he says. And yet, actually, also for the Christian to be part of this heritage of faith, that not only humbles us, but it lifts us up, doesn't it? That's what we're part of. We're held in the heritage of faith. And you'll see in verses three to five that Paul writes of his own background and then of Timothy's, and he takes heart from this. The apostle is facing death, but he's got a clear conscience, and he's praying. What a way to end your life with a conscience clear, rejoicing and giving thanks to God for for other people. And again, we see that these verses, they're not simply a warm-up before Paul really gets going on the content of his letter. We see often in the, uh, the opening verses of his letters that actually there we see what's really on his heart. Thanksgiving is poured out for the way that God has already prepared Timothy for the ministry he has now, the challenges that lie, lie ahead. And as ever, Paul provided a model from his own ministry that Timothy could learn from and make his own. And I think that being helped to understand that we're part of this heritage of faith, that gives us some ballast, some stability, some perspective for whatever lies ahead. As we lift our eyes to see the theme of faith being continued down through the generations, it reminds us that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. And you'll see in these verses that we see a glimpse of the worth of Christian family. You'll see in verse 5 that Timothy is the fruit of the ministry of his mother and his grandmother. And his grandmother. And if part of your testimony is that... uh, that your parents or your grandparents were Christians and that eventually you too came to faith in Jesus Christ, then please don't think that that is a boring testimony. That's often how we describe it, isn't it? Oh, my parents were Christians and eventually I made my own decision. It's not that interesting. It is not a boring testimony. We're richly blessed. That's a wonderful story if that's your story. 
And to the names Lois and Eunice can be added many generations, many other examples of Christian mothers and grandmothers who've instructed, who've prayed for their children and grandchildren, as well as fathers and grandfathers, of course. Now, if you came into the the room upstairs where I work, you would see in the corner this frame. And you probably won't be able to see it from where you are, but in faint writing, you'd see um, it's some handwritten sermon notes, certain notes for a sermon that that was given. And those notes, that handwriting, aren't mine. It's not my sermon. Those sermon notes were written by my grandmother in preparation for a sermon that she gave actually about 30 years ago. And when my grandmother, my maternal grandmother died, I inherited her Bible commentaries and I found these notes in the the Tyndale Colossians um, one that she had. So I put them in a frame, put the 2 Timothy Bible reference on the frame to remind me of my heritage of faith. And that inspires me and helps me as I work and lead and minister. And it stabilizes me as well, actually. Because Paul was helping Timothy to to look back to his spiritual heritage and to be given a stabilizing perspective by it. To see how God's work of equipping him for his responsibilities, for his ministry, actually that had begun many, many years ago. And so it is for us. Now, of course, you may not have Christian parents or grandparents. I know that some of us do, some of us do not. You might actually be the first in your family tree to have sincere faith in Jesus. My grandma was the first in our family tree to have sincere faith in Jesus. Well, you are still part of the spiritual heritage of faith. And you will have spiritual parents and grandparents who nurtured you in the kingdom. And all of us can have, as it were, spiritual children and grandchildren too. I think we've all at one time or another felt the influence of important people in our lives. And we've all felt the responsibility of acting in accordance with that influence and finding real joy in those relationships. And so as each one of us reflect on the different strands that make up our life, we can know that we are held by that grand heritage of faith. And yes, that's humbling. But it also lifts us up in wonder and joy that we're part of something much, much bigger. And it also turns to tell us, verse 6 and 7, that we hold the gifts of God. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid but gives us power, love and self-discipline. 
Remember that this letter is written to a specific person, to Timothy, but it's also an open letter to the whole church. It's part of Scripture, God's Word, which speaks with power to the church around the world today. And so we can understand, understand Paul's specific message to Timothy and his situation, and then we can understand the implications for churches generally. Here, Paul was reminding Timothy to use, to develop the gift that God had given him. You know, as we read the, the New Testament, it seems that, that Timothy was probably quite a different kind of person from the Apostle Paul. Maybe Timothy was more naturally shy and introverted. And actually, that's a good reminder for us that we shouldn't just look for, for leaders who are like us. Paul loved and believed in Timothy and urged him on in using the gift that God had given him as the person that he was. And Paul uses the, the phrase, you'll see it there, whole, uh, fan into flame the gift of God. Think about a box of matches. That has got the potential to spark a massive blaze. But even a match needs to be struck first. And all fires will eventually die down unless they're stoked up regularly and fresh fuel is added. An untended fire eventually becomes just ashes. Well, Timothy needed to fan into flame and step out and serve. He had the gift of preaching and teaching the word, but it needed to be cultivated carefully, regularly rekindled. And all God's gifts need to be developed and used, otherwise the fires will die down. And let me just say, almost as an aside here, that here we see the combination of divine sovereignty and human responsibility weaved together. We'll see that throughout this letter in various different ways. We see it throughout the whole, whole Bible. Divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Gifts are the gift of God. God supplies the resources necessary. He's sovereign. And we have a responsibility to fan into flame, to use, to develop, to cultivate the gifts of God. And God give, gives each person in a church gifts to use. Not just people like me who speak from the front, but every person in the life of the church is given gifts to, to use, every Christian. So what gifts has God given you to use? How can you fan those into flame? Your gifts may and probably will be very different from mine. How can you fan into flame the gifts that God has given you? And I've, uh, these last few days as I've been thinking, I wonder, are there some here who God is prompting to add more fuel to the fire. As you look at this log, think about the gifts that God has given you, what it looks like to fan into flame those gifts. What is the fresh fuel in your life that God is inviting you asking you, urging you to add, to fan into flame? Is God prompting you to fan into flame the gift 
that he has given you. And I also want to reflect on a gift that we sense as a leadership team that the Lord is giving to us together as Cornerstone Church. And we sense that the Lord is giving us the gift of raising up future leaders in churches in a variety of ways. Raising up men and women who will be able to serve God's people in the future, some by remaining at Cornerstone, some by being sent elsewhere to lead and to serve in the years ahead. And we believe that this is a gift that God is giving us that we must add fresh fuel to, to fan into flame in these years. You might have heard of our new ministry development scheme, and we, we want under God to seek to train at least six to eight people between now and the end of 20, uh, 2030. Those on their scheme will join the staff team of Cornerstone for three to four years, receive theological training, ministry experience in various contexts. David Upton began the MDS last, last August, and we hope that he'll be joined on the scheme by, by, by many others in the coming months and years. And there are other ways in which we're raising up voluntary leaders through our Emerging Leaders program and, and so on and I talk a lot about sheep and shepherding in that program as well. Um, but today, I just want to highlight the ministry development scheme. And to just say how excited we are about that, and also to share that, that we will need to raise about £1 million over the coming seven or eight years to, to fan into flame that gift of God that we believe he's given us. And these men and women are precious gifts of God that we hold, amongst many others. And there's so much potential. We had an away day as a staff team on Tuesday of this week, and we went to a, an Anglican church in, in Derbyshire where one of our former interns is now on the staff of the church there. And it was great to see how he's doing and, the, and how leaders can be sent from here to, to other places, having had some experience here and then going to bless God's people in, in, in a more rural context. And then after that, I spent, I've spent the last few days in Newcastle with some others from Cornerstone, uh, a Crosslands uh, residential conference. We were alongside about 100 men and women all training in leadership in churches. And it was, it was so encouraging to see, particularly as we look to the future, the gift of God. And we really do believe that at Cornerstone we have, under God, a significant part that we're being invited to play, fanning into flame the gift of God. I think the future of the church is really exciting. We hold the gift of God, and fourthly, we're held by the Spirit of God, verse 7 and 8. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. As we'll turn the pages of 2 Timothy in the coming weeks, we'll see that the theme of suffering is never very far away. And here it comes to the surface. I'm going to speak more about this next Sunday, God willing, but just to touch on it briefly today. 
You see, for Timothy and for his fellow leaders, for the churches in the first century, the thunderclouds, they were already beginning to fill the sky. The apostolic era was coming to an end, and a new generation was being entrusted with the treasures of God's truth and God's church. Paul, the great apostle, was in prison. Opposition was forming outside the church and even within the church. And for Timothy and others, it would be all too easy to be timid, to be afraid, or actually to be harsh and uncontrolled. It would be all too easy to be ashamed and to avoid suffering for this gospel. But Timothy is reminded that we are held by the Spirit of God. And he gives us the gifts needed to stand in the storms. You know, as as Christians, we're never promised to be removed from the storms of life. But we are promised power to stand in the storms and in the struggles. And the Holy Spirit is the one who breathes power into the weak. The Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to love when we're faced with difficulties. He's the one who gives us self-discipline to have a a level-headedness and a balanced outlook. Self-discipline. So even as Paul calls Timothy to join him in suffering for the gospel, he's not directing him inwards towards himself and his own strength and might. He calls him beyond to look at what God's capabilities are and his provision. The Holy Spirit gives us what is needed to stand in the face of suffering for the gospel. And being reminded of this encourages encourages us to find fresh daily dependence upon the Spirit of God. And as we look ahead to the next 30 years, and whatever they hold, This is where resilience will come from in the next 30 years for God's churches and for leaders. From the Spirit of God and daily dependence upon Him. We hold the promise of life and we are held by the her- in the heritage of faith. We hold the gift of God and we are held by the Spirit of God. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, fill us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us.